Hello, and welcome to the City Baptist Church Podcast, where our desire is to help others find meaning and mission in following Jesus. Today's message is from our brand new sermon series, Acts, Church on the Move. In this series, we follow the expansion of the early church. Even in the midst of persecution, we see the church experience tremendous growth through the power of God and staying faithfully committed to the Word and community. Well, I'm glad that you're here today, and I'm excited about spending time in the Word of God, which is why we come to church. And so let's take our Bibles. Let's go to the book of Acts. Chapter number five today is where we're going to be. The book of Acts, I'll actually fill in a few uh, gaps from chapter four uh, to get us up to date on our series. And our series is called Church on the Move, and we're studying the early church and the development and really the rapid growth and forward motion of the church uh, as God empowered it uh, following his ascension back up into heaven. And so just to bring you back up to date to where we are, um, what we saw was the power of God that was promised in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. The power of God through the Holy Spirit came upon the people at the day of Pentecost. You remember that? And amazing things happened. 3,000 people were saved that day. And through that, the church was empowered and emboldened. And they went out and they preached the gospel. And many people came to know uh, Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They understood who the true Messiah was. And we saw in chapter 4, the beginning there, where Peter and John continued continued on in their daily routines, but as they went to the temple to pray, uh, they met that man that had been crippled since birth. For 40 years, he had been crippled, and how through the power of God, uh, they were able to uh, be uh, uh, vessels of God's Holy Spirit power, and that man was healed that day. He began to walk and leap and praise God, but what we saw in that service, uh, you could call it a service, is what took place there, is that the Sadducees, the, uh, the, the Sanhedrin, the high priests, the leaders of that day were not excited about what was happening, and so they took Peter and John and that crippled man and they put him into prison and they stayed the night in prison kind of to cool their heels you know a little bit in prison maybe it would calm them down and the next day they brought them before the Sanhedrin which was this in very intimidating situation we talked about that last week how they would have been surrounding them and they began to accuse them they told them and they threatened them the Bible says they threatened them to no more speak the name of Jesus Christ and Peter and John answered with one spirit you remember what did they say they said we cannot help but preach and teach what we have seen and what we have heard and that's what they said they said doesn't matter what you say to us we are going to continue to preach the gospel and uh, and then what we saw at the very end of it was the Sanhedrin they basically went out they came back in and they threatened them again we don't know what they said but they threatened them again we're going to find your mom and we're going to find your sister and we're going to you know we're going to get you guys but they threatened them however they did it and they and they sent them away the Bible tells us that they threatened them and sent them away. Well, what happened after they were sent away? Well, the Bible tells us, as you continue in the passage there in verse number 23 uh, over to verse uh, number 31, that they came together and they told the, gather, the believers that were gathered there and they told them what had happened. They came to them, and honestly, they were doing what the Sanhedrin had hoped for, uh, that they came and they began to tell the other believers that they had been threatened. And they told them about the... Um, uh, about the, 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 uh, the challenges that they had faced. But what we see in the passage is so incredible. And this is what I love, is that rather than those early believers getting distracted, uh, rather than them getting discouraged or, or being like upset and, and getting all fearful, what we see in the passage is that they prayed for courage. They prayed for courage. In, in uh, verse 23 through verse number 31, um, they prayed for courage. And then uh, in verse 31 down to verse number 33, what happened is that they prayed again, and then they went out and they preached with boldness and with power. Now think about that for a moment. 
they had just been threatened, right? They had been threatened by the, uh, I'm not checking my Instagram, just so you know. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm bringing up my slides here. Um, they, rather than uh, everyone being all, all scared and, and concerned and wondering what was going on, uh, they went out and they preached with power and boldness. And then the rest of chapter 4, verses 34 through 37. And Lex, why don't you go ahead and put those slides up there for me. Uh, for some reason, it's not controlling. Hopefully, it'll, it'll come here. They prayed for courage, and then next, they uh, preached with boldness uh, and power, and then next, what they did is they gave of their possessions. So it's a theme that we've seen all throughout, haven't we, where they, they, they step back, they pray, they preach, and then they give, they sacrifice for one another. And specifically in those verses, now this is key because it's going to tie into our message today, but specifically, we're told of a man by the name of, of, uh, of Joseph was his name. His nickname was Barnabas. And his nickname, Barnabas, means that he was the son of encouragement. He was a son of encouragement. He was somebody who was an encourager. And it's so interesting. Everywhere you see Barnabas mentioned, or Joseph mentioned in the New Testament, he is always encouraging people. He's always helping people. He's always giving sacrificially to help. And that's what we see in that passage. He took a piece of land that he owned, and he sold it, and he gave every bit of profit from his land. He gave it to the church to care for the needs of other people. And as a result, the church was encouraged. They were filled with joy. Of course, imagine. Can you imagine if somebody's like, hey, I got this property, you know, in Vancouver, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and I want to sell it and I want to give the, the proceeds to the church, you know, to help City Baptist get a building or whatever. I mean, imagine the joy and the encouragement that we would feel. And that's what took place. See, everyone was filled with joy and they were encouraged and they were uh, excited about this sacrifice of Barnabas. And what we see here is what is possible. I want you to get this. What we are seeing is what is possible when the people of God are fully committed to allowing the Spirit of God to lead us in paths of righteousness. This is what takes place. There's, there's prayer, there's preaching, there's power, and there's also sacrifice for one another. And, and listen, as we look at this example of God's grace in the lives of these people, I cannot help but desire this for our church. You say, of course, pastor, you desire everybody to sell our properties and, you know, give it. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about at all. What I desire for our church family is that we would be led by prayer, first of all. That we'd be led by the power of the word of God and we would be led and marked by an unusual care for one another. That's what we see. It is unusual, this kind of care that they are showing one to another. And this is the testimony of the early church, a church of prayer, of power, and of care uh, for each other. But the thing that happens that we see right away in the book of Acts that should not surprise us at all is that Satan is beginning to take notice of what is happening here. He's beginning to see, and he has already begun to speak into the hearts and minds of the Sadducees and those religious uh, leaders who thought they knew God but did not know God. And he's already influenced them to begin some outward persecution. But when that didn't quite go as expected with Peter and John, they weren't scared at all. They're like, whatever, guys, we're going to do what we want. And so Satan saw that they weren't intimidated and they weren't discouraged. And so he quickly then changed his tactics and his tactic, his tactic went from, uh, uh, from trying to conquer them on the external, and he went to corruption. Now, I want you to write this down. This is my slide I got up here. What Satan cannot conquer, he tries to corrupt. What Satan cannot conquer, he tries to corrupt. If you would learn this statement and you would look at our society, you would immediately see this in action. Immediately see it in action. Uh, and, and, and you can apply it in so many different ways. But what Satan cannot conquer, what he cannot destroy, 
he will then try to corrupt. He used this tactic in the Old Testament uh, with Balaam. He used it with Achan. He used it on Samson. He used it on David. He used it on Solomon. And throughout church history, I believe, he's used it on church leaders and even political leaders in order to corrupt something that was to remain pure and holy and, and in the pursuit of God. And he corrupted it. And he... And he um, uh, and he's very, very effective at it. And so what we see here today is Satan changing his tactics from trying to conquer these people and intimidate them to now trying to corrupt them from within. And we see Satan get a stronghold in a couple that was in the church. And I want you to notice that while amazing, undeniable miracles were taking place and incredible grace was happening and being poured out upon the church, right in the middle of that church, there was two people that had allowed Satan to get a stronghold and there was corruption and there was deceit growing in their hearts. I want you to look at Acts chapter 5. Now in verse number 1 is where I'll begin. It says, But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession. I want you to maybe underline in your Bible that first word there, that conjunction, but. You see that? Uh, one author said this. He said, The conjunction, but, in the Bible are the hinges on which great doors swing. They always mark a decisive change in the story. So we just came from Barnabas and great joy and provision and the people were empowered and they had strength, but Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira. So here's what happened. They sold a possession. Later we're told that it was a piece of property. Look at verse two. And say these next three words with me. Kept back part. They sold this piece of land and they kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it. That immediately tells us that she was in on it. She knew what was going on. It was not a surprise. And brought a certain part, so part of the prophet, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, Ananias and Sapphira are interesting names, first of all. Ananias, in his name, it means God is gracious. And Sapphira means beautiful. Those are great names, aren't they? <laughs> but you don't know very many people named Ananias <laughs> today, and you don't really know many women named Sapphira, maybe none at all. And the reason is, is because they did not even understand or act in a way that was befitting to the names that they were given. They were not acting beautiful. They were acting ugly. They were not acting as if God was gracious. They were acting as if God didn't know what was going on. And we see here an in internal attack that is coming to the church. It is an attack on Ananias and Sapphira personally, and it's also an attack on the church. And so point number one this morning, we must be aware of internal attacks. We must be aware of internal attacks. I want to kind of get into the mind a little bit of Ananias and Sapphira and see if we can figure out exactly what was going on in their minds, why they came to this decision. And I think logically understanding the context of the passage and knowing what had just happened with Barnabas, what we can come to understand is that Ananias and Sapphira would have seen the respect, they would have seen the uh, kindness and the attention that the generosity of Barnabas received as he sold his property and he gave it to the church. And so maybe amongst themselves, they're like, wow, wasn't it incredible? And, and man, did you see how Peter, you know, praised him for what he did? And so between the two of them, they came up with this idea that, 
we should sell a piece of property and do the same. Maybe uh, Sapphira had a piece of property that she had been handed down to her. And, you know, we've got that piece out on the outside of Jerusalem there. And it's just not really doing anything right now. Why don't we do the same thing and let's sell it and let's give it to the church. And then people will really see us for who we are. And maybe they felt that no one ever had noticed them before, that they didn't really have much influence. And if we do this, man, people will take notice of what we are doing. And, and I really do believe, I don't want to just trash them right away, but I really believe that they maybe intended at the very outset. We're going to do this. We're going to sell it. And, but then maybe it got a little bit higher price than they thought it would have brought in. <laughs> There's a little bit of a bidding war. <laughs> wow, I didn't realize they were putting that highway through there, you know, and, and I didn't know that that, uh, you know, that that, uh, that merchant wanted that area and thought it would be a great place to set up shop. And, and as they got the money and as they came to the day, we're going to give it on this Sunday. And as the gatherers meet, they began to talk like, you know, that's a lot of money. You know, we have some needs. We, we could maybe use some of this. Maybe we could invest this back into our business or uh, we could use this in, in a different way. And whatever happened... When it came time for them to present it to the apostles, what they did is they decided with each other's knowledge and each other's approval, they decided to bring it to the church and keep back part of it for themselves, but present it to the church as if it was the full amount. They had decided together that they were going to deliberately deceive the church. So why would they do this? What would push two believers to make such a deliberately deceptive decision? I mean, some of you right now are booing them in your mind. You're like, boo, you know, that's terrible. I want you to understand, this was not a miscalculation of numbers. <laughs> this was uh, not uh, uh, an issue with their bookkeeping. This was a calculated move to deceive the church family into thinking that they were giving everything, that they were all in, in this sale of their property and they're giving everything now we don't know the whole backstory behind it but certainly we understand and i really do believe that it was motivated by a desire to be esteemed and respected like barnabas and so when satan came along as he so often does when we're faced with a decision when satan came along and whispered in their ear and said hey why don't you just keep some of it for yourself you know you'd already said you're going to do it and maybe they had already made that statement hey we're going to do this Satan came along, he whispered in their ear, and because of their own pride and because of their own uh, sinfulness of their heart, what we see happening is that they decided to give into that temptation and they hatched this plan. And what I want us to see here, and what I, I really feel is happening is that this couple here wanted to feel valued by that local church. And the reason and the way that they thought they would be valued to the local church was by what they were doing rather than by who they were. And that's a temptation that many people walk through. Many people struggle with that idea that I'm only valued for what I do, not for who I truly am. And for me, this is where we can make some real solid application from this story because honestly, when you read this, a lot of us have a hard time relating to this. We have a hard time relating like, oh, I'm going to sell my house. I'm going you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give all the money to the church. We have a hard time relating to that. But all of us can relate to the internal struggle of of in our own minds equating our value to the church based off of what we do as opposed to who we are. An uh, author by the name of George McDonald said this. He said, half of the misery in this world comes from trying to look instead of trying to be what one is not. Now, that was very profound. He says that so much of our misery is found in us trying to give the impression to others of who we 
want to be perceived as rather than just putting the work in <laughs> to maybe update and change who we are or change uh, the aspects of our life that need to grow and need to develop. So Ananias and Sapphira are believing a lie that if they appeared to be generous, if they appeared to be sacrificially giving to the church, then they would be respected. Then people would be in awe of their generosity and then they could bring some kind of value to the church. I want to tell you that was a lie from Satan himself that they were believing. And because they believed this lie, they deceived the church at the same time not recognizing that they were being deceived by the father of all lies. John chapter 8, speaking of Satan, says, And he speaketh a lie, he speaketh, uh, when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. Again, it's talking about Satan. For he is a, what? Say it with me. Liar and the, what? Father of it. Satan himself, the Bible describes, is a father of lies. And Ananias and Sapphira are believing the lie that their perceived position in the church was more important than a right relationship with God. That's the lie that they're believing. That our relationship, that the, the lie they believe is that what the other people in the church think about us is more important than having a right relationship with God. And so because they truly believe that, they're willing to fudge the numbers. <laughs> they're willing to fake it. They're willing to pretend in order to gain the approval of other people. And it was a lie that they believed and it allowed corruption to come right into the church we must be aware church family of the lies that we believe that can bring corruption and division into a church family satan is always whispering isn't he always whispering if you're a saved believer and you have the holy spirit of god you know what i'm talking about you know what i'm talking about as they, they, they speak into, as he speaks into your heart and into your mind, and as that flesh is sort of renewed in the sense that you uh, are fueled then become by your pride. And what happens is that it becomes down to a desire for our own glory rather than the glory of God. And there's a lot of lies that we believe. I think like Ananias and Sapphira, I think a lot of us believe the lie that if I do more, if I serve in a certain way, if I give something big or if I do some large thing, then I will be more valuable to God and more valuable to the church. And so you try and you try and you struggle and you try. But at the end of the day, if it's only for your glory, it's always going to be a struggle. Some of you have lived life like that where you thought if I just do these things, then I'll be respected. If I just do these things, then I will bring value uh, to the church body. But what happens is eventually you get bitter about it. <laughs> you get bitter about it because your motives are not pure. Your motives are for yourself rather than glory to the Lord. Some people believe the lie that I can live however I want and it's not going to impact anybody. That's a lie that Satan speaks to us. That if I just um, pursue uh, uh, these choices that run parallel rather than against what the world says is appropriate, it runs along with the world. And if I uh, live my life in the philosophy and the entertainment of the world, and, and if I live my life uh, just, just, just doing my own thing, that it will not impact me and it will not impact my family and it will not impact generations to come. And as long as it doesn't interfere with me coming to church on Sunday and doing my thing, then therefore I can live in this way. And I got to tell you, church, that is a lie that Satan is speaking to you. Some of you, the Lord, or the, not the Lord, Satan speaks the lie to you uh, that you've done enough already. 
I've had that, man, you, you do enough. Even though, even though the Spirit of God is trying to uh, convince me and trying to show me like, okay, you could follow the Lord in this way or you, need to, and, or you need to maybe change this part of your life and you're like, I've already done enough. I've already changed this part of my life. I am not gonna change this part of my life. And it comes back to that whole idea of this is my little thing, all right? This is my thing. This is what me and this is what I'm gonna keep over here. God, I gave you all the rest, but I'm gonna hold this. That's not fully giving yourself to God, but it's a lie that we believe and we convince ourselves that, oh yeah, this is totally okay. Lies that e- even internally we believe that nobody cares about us. This is another lie. Nobody really notices me and nobody really knows what's going on in my life. And what happens is when we believe lies, what it does is it begins to corrupt us from the inside. And it, and it causes us to make rash decisions. That's what's so interesting about this decision uh, with Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, this is like a big deal. Like, how did they get to this place? Because they believed a lie. They believed a lie that they could just, I can just do this thing and, and it's all going to be okay. But they followed after this lie. And the fact is that when we live our lives pursuing lies, <laughs> that, yeah, I said it right, <laughs> lives pursuing lies, the end is always destruction. I want to remind you about Galatians chapter 6, where it says, be not deceived. So you know what that implies to us? We can be deceived. It implies it to us that we can be deceived. Man, have you ever been deceived by your own thoughts before? And then been exposed to the truth? That's the worst. (laughs) That's the worst. Because what I thought was true was not true. What I thought I could do and it not impact me or impact others was a lie. And he says here, be not deceived, God is not mocked. That's a very strong statement. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he, verse 8, he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap, what? Say it with me, corruption. When we sow to the flesh, you will reap to your own flesh. And what happens is corruption, corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life, life everlasting. Ananias and Sapphira deceived the church, and they thought that they could deceive God, but ultimately they were being corrupted from the inside, and they brought that corruption right into the church. They sowed to their flesh, and they were about to reap according to his flesh. And while God is gracious, like Ananias' name <laughs> tells us, God is also holy, God is righteous, God is just, And he would not allow corruption to come into his church, particularly at this point in the church's history. And so that brings us to point number two, that we must be warned of the consequences. You need to be aware of internal attacks. They are coming. If you are in tune with God at all, you know that they are coming. And in fact, you are probably facing them right now. I cannot tell you how many times this week and even in the last 24 hours that I have been, I've had lies coming into my mind. Don't preach this message. Don't preach this message because it's kind of in your face a little bit. And so I'm thinking like, ah, and honestly, I've been trying to think, how can I kind of like, you know, make it all smooth? (laughs) You know, how can I make it all, all, all chill? That's a lie, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm called as your pastor to preach the word of God for what it is. So that's what we're going to do, okay? But listen, there, there's lies that come and be aware of that internal attack. Satan will do everything he can. We here in Vancouver do not experience great outward persecution as of yet. Physical persecution, but we will. We don't receive that yet, but what we do face a lot of is internal, internal stuff. 
And Satan has been studying the church for 2,000 years, and he knows how to get at us, doesn't he? And so while we must be aware, but we almost, almost be warned, uh, must be warned of the consequences. And so I want you to put yourself there at that church service. It's kind of at the end. Peter maybe had just preached a, a powerful message. Everybody was pumped. The whole time Ananias is sitting there, and he's just like, ooh, it's coming. And so as that, you know, that Christian, like a Christian, you know what I mean, not a Christian, got up there and he played I Surrender All. Here came Ananias down the aisle. Now today, you know, that kind of money would either be bank transferred <laughs> or like in a check. So he's got an envelope. But in those days, a large amount of money, I mean, it was, it was a physical of large amount. It would have been a bag probably with coins in there, you know. And as he sort of, <laughs> you know, I don't want anybody to notice. I don't want anybody to notice. He carried that bag of money down to the front, and it says that he laid it at the apostles' feet. I think he more like dropped it probably, like, kunk, you know. It's just me, folks. Don't worry about it, you know. He came down, and he put that money at the apostles' feet. And rather than praise, though, I want you to see this. Rather than the thankfulness and maybe the applause or the, oh, brother Ananias, <laughs> that he expected an entirely different situation unfolded. Look with me at verse number three. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back part of the price of the land? That was not what he was expecting. <laughs> Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why, and here's the key. Why hast thou, what's that word there? conceived he said why did you conceive this thing in thine heart thou hast not lied unto men but unto God Peter here of course is given insight by the Holy Spirit he saw right through his lie and he confronted him about the source of his lie and the source of his lie was that he allowed Satan to have a stronghold to have a place in his heart that convinced him and led him to sin in this way Peter explained to him again what we all know, and that was they did not have to give any of the sale of the proceeds of, that, uh, of their property at all. He says it was yours, it was in your hand. He said you didn't have to give it uh, back at all, but because he was allowing Satan to speak these lies into his life, he then lied to the church, lied to the apostles, and as well, in, uh, uh, as he says here, was lying to the Holy Spirit, lying to the Holy Ghost, that is God. And then he also adds to that, you are responsible for your action because you are the one who had conceived. You are the one who had birthed then this idea in his own heart. He just lays it out here for me. He says, this was, this was you. You came up with this. It was all him because sometimes people say, well, Satan made me do it. Right? We've heard that one before. Uh, Satan made me do it. Listen, Satan may put it there. He may tempt you, but you are the one who did it. <laughs> and that's what we see here. He says, you conceived it. And we're seeing the birth of that conception right here uh, in, in the service, right, is what we're seeing. Now, I want you to notice God's response to this was very swift and it was very severe. Look at verse 5. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men, so Joshua and Emmanuel and Christian, <laughs> arose. <laughs> they had to get Tim involved. Look at this. They wound him up. Imagine this in a church service. They wound him up and carried him out and buried him. It's interesting the term here, gave up the ghost, is interesting. It, it refers to a, a sudden death, of course, 
but it also refers to a judicial death, as in a judgment being placed. This was divine judgment upon Ananias. This was not church discipline. <laughs> church discipline as laid out by Jesus in Matthew 18 is a, is a different thing. This was not church discipline. This was divine judgment upon him. And the judgment carried over to his deceptive wife as well. Look at verse number seven. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. By the way, I just want you to know they're still having church three hours later. <laughs> and Peter answered unto her. Peter answered unto her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yay, for so much. I was wondering why she came in three hours later. Right? Yeah, second service, third service, I don't know. I, I have to believe, though, part of it was so that she could receive another outpouring of praise that they expected for Ananias to receive. She's like, you go and you give the money first. I'll roll in a bit fashionably late. And everyone's going to be like, oh, I can't believe. Oh, you guys are so generous. Oh, you're so, so wonderful. I can't think of another reason for her to be that late. <laughs> but when she arrived, Peter confronted her about it. And I want you to notice he gave her a chance to tell the truth. He said, did you sell it for this amount? But she upheld the lie that they had conspired together. And as a result of trying to test the spirit of the Lord, we see in verse number nine, and Peter said unto her, how is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then she fell down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, found her dead, carrying her forth, buried her, by her husband. Can you imagine the effect that they would have had on this church? <laughs> this crazy situation. I am sure that many people knew this couple. I'm sure that friendships had been made uh, with them and developed, but now here they were, dead, buried outside by the hand of God Almighty. In verse number 11, it tells us a reaction to it. It says, And great fear came upon all the church, and upon many as heard these things. And so what we see is the church going from great grace and great power to great fear. <laughs> to that church, I mean, this was a first for them to experience this kind of judgment upon God, uh, from God. But I, I don't want us to miss out on the fact that this, the whole purpose of the situation was to remind this early church that was growing so quickly in a, and, and expanding so fast about the soberness of sin. And how God takes the corruption of his church that he bled and gave his life for, the church that he gave the commission to uh, for the rest of history uh, uh, that uh, remind them about the soberness and the seriousness of it. You know, the church was full of fear, and I'm sure along with that fear, there would have been a lot of soul searching, don't you think? I am sure that Peter probably explained a little bit more. <laughs> I don't think he was like... Take her away. All right, now let's turn to the book of Psalms. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, I am sure that he explained what had, had taken place, and so I can imagine there was an invitation. I can imagine that there would have been some soul-searching. I mean, it'd be the same today as if a pastor was up preaching and was struck dead because of a lie that he told. Or a church leader that had, was living in lies and it was discovered and they were struck dead for us. I mean, what, what would that do to us as a church? Obviously, it'd be easy to judge, right? <laughs> well, but I know this. When we see this, church, this is a sad, sad, difficult situation. And whenever we see this kind of 
difficult and this judgment by God, we must step back and examine our own integrity or the lack of integrity that we have. Now, I have to acknowledge something. I just want to cover this. I have to acknowledge that there are a lot of people who have a hard time accepting this passage because you look at it and you're like, well, where was the grace of God from Peter? <laughs> you know, where was the, the opportunity to repent? And, and, and remember Judas, I mean, he turned on Jesus and what he did was so much bigger than just keeping back some of the price. And, and what, what about Judas? And, you know, God didn't strike him dead right away. Uh, here's what I, I want you to just note real quickly. You gotta remember, J Jesus was still hopeful for Judas's soul. But Ananias and Sapphira, they knew God. They were saved. They were believers. But they were dishonest. And they were disobedient. And their deception was deliberate. It was intentional. And if it had been allowed to go through and become a pattern within the church, it was a direct threat to the future of the church. Now, I want you to think of this for a moment. It is interesting, as you study the Bible, there are certain events like this that when you look at them, we're like, whoa. That's very, that's God bringing judgment. And, and we look back and it's interesting how you can tie it to key elements or key times in history. For example, when the tabernacle was first built and it was a place where the presence of God was to come down and reside, there were two men by the name of Nadab and Abihu who presented to God what was called and described in scripture as false fire. You remember that? Maybe you're not familiar with the story, but they presented a false worship to God and they both were struck dead, right? This is right around the time that the tabernacle was just built and established. Do you remember in our study in the book of Joshua when the promised land was finally given to the people? They had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They had waited for this time. They had come over and Jericho fell. God said, don't take anything. This first, this first city is an offering for me. But there was a guy by the name of Achan who took some for himself and hid it in his tent and lied about it. And God caused his death allowed it remember to be found how they worked it all the way down from the tribe to the family to the you know everything to find this guy in the middle of two million people and he was judged for his these are critical moments in history do you see what i'm saying critical moments uh right right there at the tabernacle right there at the promised land in the beginning and now we see right at the beginning of the church god has a very strong reaction as a way of being an example for us and to serve as a warning to us, right at this critical time in church history. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 11, clarifies it where it says, now all these things happened unto them for in samples or examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Then it says this in verse 12, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. That's a description to us that much of Scripture is given to us as an example, as a warning to us, so that we ourselves would examine our hearts. And that's what this story is. The story of Ananias and Sapphira is a warning to us as a church. And just like we were so intent on the snowfall warnings, you know, last week, whoa, I'm always checking my phone, like, what's the snowfall warning? Oh, no, we're getting half a centimeter, you know, and we're all worried about it. We need to be intent about the warnings of the Word of God as well. And uh, we need to take notice of that warning because when we give into the trap of Satan's internal attacks, the end result is going to be corruption. The end result is going to be destruction. It may not be seen in the death of a church member, nor should we ever presume that upon somebody who passes away, okay? Uh, <laughs> Jesus even talked about that. This man is sick. We presume, you know, he did some great sin. Uh, that's not what we're saying. We, it's not always going to be seen in that way, but it often is seen in the breakdown of unity within a person's relationships. It is seen in the growth of bitterness, 
And ultimately, that breakdown of unity and that bitterness that develops in that person's heart, and they, as they become unforgiving, what happens is that it then creates conflict within a body of believers. And sometimes God has to remove people who carry with them a heart of destruction and a heart of deception. And sometimes God has to remove people if they have that spirit of Ananias and Sapphira. And the reason is, is because sin is serious to God. And if you as a saved believer and you know Christ is your Savior, continually to willfully sin against him and to lie to his spirit, he cannot stand by and allow his children to continue in it because God promised us that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And if you're allowing the gates of hell to come in through your heart into the church family, you must be aware. That's why it says in Hebrews 12 verse 6, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. That means corrects them. In verse number 15 of the same chapter, it says, Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Do you see the pattern there? God chastens us because he doesn't want us to be uh, corrupted and by bitterness and then defiles many other people. That's what the warning is that we see in this passage. And so if we are so willing to return to a mindset of sinfulness and of believing the lies that our enemy tells us, what you're doing is you're falling into Satan's plan to bring destruction and corruption right into the church. You say, who are you talking about, Pastor? Nobody. <laughs> I'm not talking about anybody. I'm just preaching the chapter because we're working our way through it. But man, what a warning. What a warning. I often wonder that Peter, if Peter was thinking about this story when he said in 1 Peter chapter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. I wonder if as he wrote those words, he remembered, man, Ananias and Sapphira. It didn't have to be that way. The story didn't have to turn out like this. But I think he re realized as he wrote this that Satan succeeded in the lives of Ananias and Sapphira. And they were given over to this corruption but yet what we see here is that God did step in and God protected the church from that corruption. Satan knows that he is unable to destroy the church from without. And so his efforts are focused right now. In some areas he can destroy from without. But right now he has focused his, er his uh, attention at destruction from within. To corrupt our minds, to corrupt our unity, to corrupt our joy, to get us to believe lies about ourselves and to get us to believe lies about one another. And so this morning, what I want us to do is to take this passage for what it truly is, and that it is a warning to us. It is a warning to us to guard our hearts. Guard your heart. It is a warning to us to confess our sin. You know, if Ananias and Sapphira had confessed, this story wouldn't, I don't even think it'd be, be in here. Maybe it would be, you know. A, a couple brought money and they decided to keep some of it, but when they were confronted, <laughs> you know, or, or when they got there, they said, this is wrong. We shouldn't do this. And so they confessed and everyone said, you know, great. They were restored and off they went. But instead we see someone harboring and continuing in deception and lying to the Holy Spirit of God. And so we must confess our sin. Maybe some of you are lying to the Holy Spirit of God. You say, what are you talking about? How many times have you ever told God you were going to do something for him and then you didn't do it? I, I've made commitments. God, will you please forgive me of my sin? Lord, I'm committing today that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay away from this. I'm going to stay away from this sin. I'm not going to go to that place any longer. I'm not going to go back there. 
and then we go right back there. How many times have we said, God, I promise I will start giving next paycheck? <laughs> right? I, I, I will follow you next paycheck, God. The next paycheck comes, the next paycheck goes. <laughs> How many times have we made commitments to the Lord about, uh, Lord, I, I feel like, you know, God speaks to us in a service, and we're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve you, Lord, in this way. And then an opportunity comes, and they're like, ah, I don't think I'm going to do that. These are all just little things that happen in our, in our lives, but we're, what are we doing here? We're lying to the Holy Spirit of God. We've told him something, and then we don't do it. We must confess our sin, trust God and his plan, rather than believing and perpetuating lies about ourselves and others. This whole situation would have been avoided with a little bit of humility and honesty. That's all it, that's all it took. But let's be warned this morning and let's be thankful. Be thankful that God does forgive when we come to him. I want to close with 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 8. It says, if we say that we have no sin, say it with me, we deceive ourselves. Wow, what a fitting verse for this passage. They were coming in and, oh yeah, of course, yeah, we sold it. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. This is exactly the right amount. Oh yeah, we're, we're not telling the truth. They, or, 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 we're, we're, we're telling the truth. They deceive themselves. And the truth then is not in us. By the way, if you're here today and you're like, I've got no sin, you might be deceived. You might be deceived. And then verse number nine, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why don't you say that verse with me? Ready? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the grace of God right here. That's what we can take away that, you know, you may be in a position where you're believing lies. You may be in a place in your life where you're harboring sin from God. You don't have to allow it to take you to a place of destruction. You don't have to allow it to take you to a place of removal. You can confess it before the Lord. You can get it right today. And you can move forward in forgiveness and return to that place of prayer and power and care that we see in the early church. God here in a very poignant, a very, a very strong way is making a point to us that he does not want corruption in his church. Satan's doing everything he can to get at us. But we must build our walls high with the forgiveness and love of Christ and the forgiveness and love of one another and guard against those attacks that come from the inside. But the greatest battle that's ever done is in your own heart. <laughs> that's the greatest battle. It's easy to come together and, you know, link arms and be like, we're fighting Satan. <laughs> we're charging hell with a squirt gun, you know. It's easy to say that. It's harder to fight the battle internally. It's harder to forgive that person that you feel slighted you. It's harder to serve the Lord not because of what you think others will give to you or what others will validate in you, but just serving the Lord out of the pureness of your own heart because God commanded us to. That applies in so many areas of our life. And so if you're in a place today where you're maybe struggling a little bit, you've found yourself falling back maybe to some old habits or some old ways, or you found yourself even justifying it in your own heart, be like, I deserve this. I'm, I'm going to be okay. I'm, it does not, it's not going to affect my children. It's not going to affect anybody. If you're being deceived today, can I encourage you to follow what this verse says. If you're saying that you have no sin, you're deceiving. You're deceived. But the great news is that we can turn to God and we can confess our sin. And He is faithful. God is faithful. He is just to forgive us of our sins 
He's going to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And what a great promise that is. We hope that today's message was a help and encouragement to you in your walk with God. To stay connected with us, give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at Vance City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will grow and bless you as you pursue His will for your life.